Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi. I'm going to try today, at the urging of uh, Chaim Chernoff, to try to do this both on one podcast on one hand, and on the video to YouTube on the other, even though I'm not crazy about it, because I'm just not used to thinking freestyle in front of a camera. Um, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, today is a Monday, midday, I guess, 3 o'clock or whatever, and... Uh, I don't have anybody for the rest of the week, but uh, we're going to do the podcast on the tefillah, and we'll see what happens later this week, um, simply because an idea came into my head. That's the reason I'm doing it. Um, this is the tefillah podcast we're doing once a week, Mishpachas, Stefanski, courtesy of them. And Derek Hagel, I just happened to come across something. Today I'm going to do something more along the lines of, I guess, what you'd call a historical analysis. Uh, the good thing about this is I can do it any way I want. And so, um, today it'd be a little more scholarly, perhaps. We'll see. I'm thinking about Shiba Shabtenik, Varshanavi, Yotzenik, Hatkil, Bahasin, Meniyola, and the famous Brach over there. Which I mentioned last week when I did Reynavi on Yenu, that if you analyze it, even a little bit of historical understanding, you will, of course, see that there was an original Nusach, was a Shmanasri, and then it changed over time, as I said before. Obviously, if there was a prayer in some formal way during the time of the Second Temple, and there was a base of Migdash, they didn't have no bracha called Salzene. They already had a base of Migdash, obviously, right? So, some of those Nosos obviously date from post Corbin. That's obvious. Um, and some, as I tried to make the case the other time, I think, maybe originating in the original Nosos Monastery even before the Korban, but they were relocated and perhaps slightly modified or jiggled or whatever in the new casting of the Shemonastery that obviously must have occurred in like of the momentous events that characterized Tisha B'Av and the Korban the Bidstruction Base. I mean, that to me is just logical. Okay, it's just logical. Now, um... <sighs> Let me just think. The, um... place I want to go is as follows. Uh, I mentioned last time, Reino Vianino, I think, originally was a general kind of Gula type statement. And then it's got, you know, uh, refigured the way we do it today. And must have replaced, in my understanding, a lot of the intermediate kind of prayers. I mean, they already were in Jerusalem, so they didn't have to do that. Gula was a broader kind of theme. Hashibah Shavtenik Varshan is very interesting in the following light. There is a passage in Isaiah, no question about it, we just had it. In Shabbos, um, you know, what is it, Nachmu, I guess? But, uh, or maybe it's Chazon, whatever. Uh, that's a pious wish. That means the time of the prophet Yeshayel, the judges 
I mean, they had Israel. It's Yeshayo. It was Chizkiah's time, we think. So you had Israel, you had Yerushalayim, you had a base of Migdash, but the judges were no darn good. Obviously, the judges were corrupt. As I tried to make the case the other time, the king himself did not worship idols. That doesn't mean he presided over a, a perfectly just system. Obviously, if Yeshayel, the prophet, who's doing Ruch HaKodesh, he's not saying his own. He's saying, One day I'll bring you back good judges. You see from there, at that time, they were not good judges. But I think that the... Um, let me put it this way. I doubt very strongly if the Anshayin and who were in charge of the Bezdins, we think, and constructed the first original form of Shimon Esrei, we think, said, they were the judges. On the other hand, it so happens to be, this week coming up soon, is the Megillus Tinus Day. Spoken about many times. Megillus Tinus, of course, is a list of the dates you're not supposed to fast. But they generally commemorate important events in the Second Temple period. I know Butler McGill's times, but in those, what were they? Usually they're either something like Maccabean victories, or else they are, um, listen closely, they're Pharisaic victories. The Rick is the Prussian of Tzedukim. Meaning, after the Maccabees won and established a Jewish state, right, they set up a state of Israel. It was controversial, but that's what they did. By the time you get to Judah Maccabee, Shimon, Yochanan, all that group. Yochanan, Shimon. So, they have a Jewish state. And their successors, we call the Hashemunayim, <coughs> expanded that state. So, then it broke into civil strife within the Jewish state, the Prussian versus the Tzedukim. We think of ourselves as the Prussian being the Orthodox, the Tzedukim being something different. That's the firm version. I guarantee if you ask your former rabbis like a 19th century Geiger, he'll flip it. But I'm talking about the way we do it. Um, so that means there are two sets of Jews. And um, they're arguing over what the law should be, among other things. Uh, <clears throat> is extreme unclarity in all this. Just take it from me or don't. I'm telling you, there's extreme unclarity in all this in the sources. From a firm point of view... That's what the Doris was showing them is. You look at those seven dense and opaque volumes. Or you can get the Vigner Miller version in the shorter, simpler sense. And there's a firm spin, I would even say a Haredi spin, put on how to uh, read the sources and foreground some and background others to give more valorization to the ones that fit more into a firm thesis and give less to those that don't. There's no such thing as, as real history or objective history when you get to the Bayashini period. I hate to say it. There's extreme prejudice of one kind or another. That's the nature of the sources. So either you give it an extreme non-from spin or you give it an extreme from spin. Probably neither is it correct. But that's how we go. Well, you have the spins. Now, I, I repeat, I'm just telling you the way I understand it. Now, um, what's interesting is that we have a date in the Megillus Tinus in of, 24 of. Everybody obviously knows the nine days. Everybody knows Tisha B'Av. And everybody knows Tubav. We just had Tubav the other day. I got my goose cooked <laughs> because I forgot which date 
my anniversary was. Uh, I thought Tuba was Sunday. Really, was Shabbos. But okay, let it be. Um, <clears throat> but Tuba is not the only date in the McGill's Tinus. If you open up, which is around, you know, McGill's Tinus, here's a uh, one version, Stein's also in the back. Here's a frummy version. Uh, some of you might see this from time to time. I like it because in the kudos, you know. And uh, and a lot of Mephorshim on it, too. Such as there are. And, um, anyway, 24 of. Cuffed all of. Which will be next week. And here you have to, you have the problem, <clears throat> what's it called, Skolion. Which is, what's the original version of, of Miguel Steinus and what's the Parshanut on it? Let it be. But what are we talking about, basically? What I'm trying to say with all this is, Here's a document, McGill's Times, which is very old. The Gemara quotes from it, but um, the nusachs are, are are problematic. Okay, the text has been played with. Knowing that, now we march into the thicket. There was a date, McGill's Times, where it's no Tachlan, no Hespid, no Tainus, and so forth. On the twenty-fourth of Av, Tavna Ladinono. Which means Shavnu, Shavnu Ladinenu. We returned to being done by our own din. What does that mean? Bimei Malchus Yavad, Hayadana Bedin Enochrim. During the time of the Greeks, if they mean the Greeks, they used to use Gaishala. And it goes on to say, Yerush is Abbas. So in other words, in Greek law, you find this elsewhere in Talmudic literature. Roman law, Greek law. The truth is, I should do a little bit of homework and see if it's true. But let's just stipulate that it is. So the, the daughter inherited together with the son. If a guy died and he had a son and a daughter, so 50% to the son, 50% of the daughter, or something like that. Whereas in Jewish law, it all, as everybody knows, by the Torah, it all goes to the son. The daughter doesn't get anything. Uh, the Jewish law tries to make provisions for that. The son has obligations to the daughter, to the sister, if she's not married, etc., etc., doesn't mean that the obligations are, are met, but that's the law. Um, nowadays, people do all kind of shtick to halakhically circumvent it, possibly. You know, people writing wills and all the rest of it. My son's into, uh, he's a, a will lawyer, what do you call it, a state lawyer, you know, they, all that sort of thing. But if you want to go according to the din, din, the son gets not the daughter, unless there's no son. So, apparently, I'm just reading what it says over here, when it was going by Dine Hen, by the Greek laws, so um, the daughter inherited also, uh, which sounds very liberal to us today. Now, but Torah is opposite. So then engaged a certain process, which most scholars would say the text is corrupt here. Because they talk about Yochum and Zakai arguing with the Tzedukim. Obviously, Yochum and Zakai is in the time of the Romans, in the time of the Korban, not be made Malchus Yovim. You find these problems. When you get to texts like McGill's Tinus, but let it be. Um, there, a, there, a whole set of debates in, ensues. By the time it's over, uh, the law has changed. Now let's put that aside. I'm going to the to the last line, and I hope I'm not confusing you. So I'm going to start from the beginning, and then end with the last line, and then we have the answer to what I think our problem is that we're considering today. <laughs> I'll start again. On the 21st, we returned to our own dinim. 
In the time of the Greeks, when the Greeks ruled Israel, they used Greek laws, Gaisha laws. When the Maccabees won, they removed the Greek laws, and they started um, using Jewish laws. And that day, when this formally was done, was declared a Yantav. So the Pashim Shah goes like this. The Jews were part of the Seleucid Empire. Then came the Maccabean Revolt because of religious persecution, etc., etc. Until then, the laws governing were the Greek laws. Uh, and then, as a result of the Maccabees gaining independence, they got rid of the Greek laws and they set up a regime of the Jewish laws. And then they declared that to be a happy day. That could be. Problem is, um, even when they were under the Greeks, I mean, they had autonomy. You see? They had autonomy. So, they usually were following the Jewish laws. Well, not if it's Antiochus IV. Okay? So, in other words, for a long time they were under the Greeks. Alexander the Great and afterwards under his successors when the Jews were part of the Ptolemaic Empire and later on the Seleucid Empire without going into all the details. And substantially they had autonomy. This is one of those areas the sources are not clear about. It's like a black hole in Jewish history. What was the story, you know, after Alexander the Great clearly for a hundred and some years, let's say roughly from 320 to, I don't know, 170 you know, what was going on precisely. We don't have good information on that. But Pashtus, the coin god of the high priest, was considered the chief magistrate of the Jews by the Greek authorities. And they ran the country more or less according to Jewish law. And then came Antiochus IV. He's a Mavakal, all that. Went against the Torah to destroy it. Provoked the Maccabean revolt and so on and so forth. So that makes sense. So here's my point. If you were living during the Maccabean Revolt <clears throat> or prior to that, um, there already was a Shemun Esrei in some form. I don't say the form we have it today exactly, obviously. But, but according to Rambam, anyway, it goes back on Shesek Dola. So there was stuff around at that time already. So what kind of prayer would have been composed when Antiochus IV came along and Mamash destroyed the Jewish religion. Gave his best shot. Prior to that, there was a Sanhedrin, and I'm using that word in the from sense. There wasn't a basin. There were Bote didn't, and they operated. But then they didn't. I may be oversimplifying a little bit, but basically what I'm saying is the, the truth. So what do you think? How, how do you think the Jews felt? Let me rephrase that. Anything from Jews felt when that happened. Well, they didn't like it. So then, would fit like a glove that they add to the Shemona Esrei the following prayer: What was going along with the suppression of the Jewish laws and the replacement by Greek laws, the torturing and killing of all the Jews who wanted to keep practicing, 
I could pull out the book of Maccabees over here and read the story, as we all know, of the torturing of the people and wanted to keep Judaism. It's, it fits like a glove. They get rid of Sanhedrin, the, the, the abolition of the um, judges, Bazins. And they also got rid of Sanhedrin in the sense of a supreme governing council. Ooh. Now, um, that prayer was was answered. And within so and so many years, the Maccabean revolt was successful, the Hasmonean state was established. Tavla de Dinona. And 24 of, which is in a few days, the Greek laws in the new state of Israel that was established were abolished, in place by Torah laws. Oh, they were so happy they made a Megillus dynasty. Lola very happy about it. The thing is, if they were going by strict economy of language, once that happened, that should have been omitted and, and, and dropped from Shimon Esrei. But it was not. It was not. Why not? Here we're speculating because um, the language of the Miguel Sinus in between the beginning and the middle that I just read you has a whole famous debate that you may know from the Gemara, I think about Basra, quotes this, where the Tzedukim versus the Prussian Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they shot Tzedukim on Tirash Abbasim Abain, that the Tzedukim said the daughter inherits together with the son. Vinetlam Yochim and Zachai. And Yochum battled with them. He showed to me an iron shokem, etc., etc., etc. And they got a fight over Pesukim. And by the time it's over, it's over. And it's a, it's a Mishta text. But what if you unpack it, in my opinion, what's going on is as follows. Even when the Hasmonean state was established and they restored the Jewish laws, within a certain period of time, Fights that broke over precisely what those laws were. Notice they emerged the Prussian and Tzedukim, or Tzedukim in face of the Prussian. The Tzedukim created their own law system, some of which resemble ours, some do not. Um, this has to do with John Herkines, Yochanan Kohen Gadol. Everybody's familiar with the famous mission. says, Yochanan Kohen Gadol all of his life was with the Prussian. Losef Yom of Nasa ben Tzedukim. That's a whole long Josephus, Gemara, whatever. Uh, so, in the Jewish history, John Herkinus switched to the Sadducees, broke the Pharisees, and installed the Sadducees in power. In power is how? Uh, judges and running the state, state council, governing body. Shoftenu v'yotzenu. And this continued for quite a while. Now, till it was over. Um... There's a parallel thing like this, I believe, in, in the winter sometime in the Megillus times having to do with Shem and Shetach. Uh, not Yochum and Zakai. But the long and the short of it is, at some point, the Pharisees prevailed. Now, it's so complicated, and I'm not going to spend the time doing this, the scenarios, um, Again, if you go with Doris Rishonim, it's up and down and in and out. You know, where they changed in the time of Aristobulus, the time of Alexander Yanai, was the beginning of Yanai's reign versus later in Yanai's reign. 
Suffice it to say that certainly in the reign of Alexander Yana, which was a long time, 25, 30 years, it's the Duke were in power. And uh, remember, he's the guy they threw the asterisks at. He got angry and sick the guards on them. They killed 6,000 people on Sukkot in the uh, base of Migdash. So it was a, a very tense period. Eventually, under Shlomo's Alexandra, his successor, the Pharisees were restored to power. Once again, was it through the debating power of Shem Shatach? Was it through the debating powers you see in the text that we have in front of us for the 24 volt through the power of Yochum and Zakai? I mean, that's very late. Yochum and Zakai, time of the Chorban. Or did Sadukim run in the show on time of the Chorban? Very hard to tell. But by the time it's over, the Frum won, let's put it that way. And places like the Sanhedrin and all the rest of it were taken up by the Pharisees. So once again, they should have dropped the um, prayer. And maybe they did. I don't know. Not too long afterwards, however, came the Chorban Beis HaMegdosh. Here the situation is very tricky. The Romans destroyed the temple. Um... The Romans destroyed the temple, but did they destroy the Sanhedrin? As you read from the Mishnahis and all of it, there were rabbis, there were Sanhedrin. Did they have legal power enforced by the Roman government? Or was it only consensual power? Those who listened to them, listened to them. Let's say the majority was from them, they listened to them voluntarily. It's a very tricky issue. And when you go specifically... That whole first generation of time, you have to get into the nitty gritty. Are you talking about Titus? Are you talking about Domitian? Are you talking about the five good emperors who, for the Jews, were the five bad emperors, or at least four? Uh, after Nerva, you get Trajan, Hadrian, and Antoninus Pius. What was the status of Sanhedrin? Were the Jews living under Roman law? Jews living under Jewish law? It's a mess. And so once again, it would make sense to install the prayer. Much, much later, the Romans got rid of Sanhedrin per se. That's why we don't have one now. That's probably the 4th century, whenever. You could debate that. Uh, Theodosius, whatever. So I don't know what the status of Hashim Shoteni Kwashenavi was. But by the time this historical pro- project exhausts process, exhausts itself, the Jews have lost the base of Middush. They pretty much lost their Yisrael. They've lost the Sanhedrin. They lost everything. At that time, Hashim Shoteni Kwashenavi Yoteni Gatchil Vahasim Meri assumed Pashim shot the way we understand it today. We're in Gaulus. It's a Corbin. We don't have anything back. We're run by foreigners. Um, and we want that changed. Or some variation thereof. You want that changed, but the valence of it is just interesting because Today, of course, 
we have in Israel is a Jewish country is not a from. Is it the Tzedukim? It ain't exactly Tzedukim. The, the Chilonim is not the Tzedukim. The Chilonim kind of renounce any religious authority whatsoever. They're trying to do it on a different basis. That's interesting. And the Chilonim in Israel are not identical with the Chilonim in America either. So uh, that's a whole discussion by itself. So in our time, it carries different meanings. I'll just share one that I think is relevant today, and then I'll close it down. We have a big problem with Chosha Mishwan and Basins, simply because the model that eventually emerged after Chum Basin Migdash was that of the Kehill, or what we used to call the Autonomous Coercive Community, which I think many of you are familiar with, especially if you ever listen to anything I say. And in that context, wherever Jews lived, for many centuries, they lived as part of a separate corporation, legally defined by the state, Christian state, Muslim state, in which the Jews lived to some degree or another under their own laws. Those laws are backed by the power of the secular state, not secular, the Christian state or Muslim state. There's the coercion. Um, okay. So in that context, you had a basin, because every community had to have some forum for authoritatively resolving uh, conflicts peaceably. Law is another term for nonviolent conflict resolution, true or not. Has to be some system of laws. So I'm radically oversimplifying, but the Jews evolved their system of Talmudic law, non-Talmudic law, to run life in the, in, in the Kalos. So when they said, our Shiva Shavu Tenek they meant, all right, we have Shoftim now, but we don't want Kivar Shona. We went back to Mashiach time, Eretz Yisrael, Yushalayim, Sanhedrin, all Lishka, Sagazes, and all that. But they had that. But in modern times, the last 200 years, the Kalos has fallen apart. Certainly has no autonomous power. The rise of the secular state is incompatible it's what they call Sharia law, you know, religious law. And so all you have today is a, a voluntary system of basins, which means not regulated in any way, not really subject to any kind of communal authority. And so it's a jungle. Which basin you want to go to? This one, that one, the other one. Do you know what they're going to say? You do a contract, you don't know if they're going to be, a, they're going to be extreme right wing, extreme left wing. They're going to take American law into account. They're not going to take the law into account. I know for many people it's a problem. Strictly speaking, theoretically, all the from communities in America should get together, honestly, really, and create a basin system that should be free of politics. It doesn't matter, you know, which shaver you're from. If that judge is really going to close the mission and apply it impartially, that's a pipe dream. So you have a plethora of basins and uh, a ton of problems. And everybody else, like the Kliyakar said, you know, Midas Hadin is Lokoi. It's the, it's the big um, weakness in American Jewry and around the world, and probably in Israel too. Because even though theoretically in Israel, you have the Rabbanur and this and that and the other, and they have the power of getting a Kedushan, it's a, it's, a, it's a mess up there also. So we today 
when we say Hashem is Shotanik Parashan Riyasin Kachil, we say we like a nice system that really works. That's transparent. That if you see something you don't like, you can't. You're not you're afraid to say anything, and that you feel you're getting a justice. Um, that's a high ideal. Uh, we are told many times in the prophets, you know, Melpa Mishpat Yama Arts. That Hashem only likes if there's a real Mishpat in there. He doesn't say he likes this as a from Mishpat. He says it's got to be a real honest Mishpat. So you have to have qualified people Hashem Mishpat. Then they have to be, you know, honest and impartial and all the rest of it. So that's what you do nowadays when you say, Hashem Shabbat Tenek that's a big, that, that's a lofty agenda. That's not the right word, lofty. It's an ambitious agenda. And it's sad I have to say that. But it strikes me that it, it's very relevant for a person who thinks beyond my own two amas. Because I can say I'll live my life as best I can not having to do with anything like that. Atomized. But any Jew thinks communally and every Jew is supposed to think communally. I say if we think in terms of communal in the 21st century sense, it should include a basing component, but one that you don't feel uncomfortable about, one you feel totally you know, at ease with. Um, that remains a desideratum, and that's why I think people have uh, might want to consider having in mind when they do this bracha that we say three times a day. Uh, and remember, this week is one tavla dinara. That's what led me along this reverie. Um, There's just a few ideas I'm going to share with you. With that, I wish you a good week. Thank the Stefanski family, as always. And uh, we'll see how the rest of the week turns out. Now let's see if I got this right. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.